0: A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad that you're with us on the program today. Joining me in uh, just a matter of moments, Chelsea Kuminaro is going to be with us. She is the attorney representing the uh, family of uh, Kumari Harrison, the uh, nine-year-old fourth grader in Louisiana who was suspended from school, threatened with expulsion because of the uh, inadvertent and accidental display of a BB gun, a momentary display, by the way, uh, of a BB gun during an online class session. Kamari Harrison is in his home. He's in his bedroom that he shares with his younger brother. His younger brother's playing on the bedroom floor, uh, trips over the BB gun. Kamari Harrison uh, reaches down, picks up the unloaded BB gun, sets it to the side of his desk. Teacher flips out. The uh, school officials are notified. And again, uh, Kamari is told uh, you cannot attend class online for the uh, next six days because you violated the school's weapons policy. As ridiculous as that is, uh, there is some good news in this case. You know, the attorney general has taken a a great interest. Jeff Landry, the attorney general of Louisiana, uh, has taken a, a great interest in this case, as have lawmakers. Uh, in Baton Rouge, when we spoke with Attorney General Landry on the program, I guess this was last Friday, uh, he said that uh, lawmakers were taking an interest, and yesterday in Baton Rouge, the uh, Louisiana House Education Committee unanimously voting to advance a piece of legislation called the Kamari-Harrison Act, uh, which would force school districts to write policies specifically for online learning. The uh, bill would also give families more options to appeal disciplinary decisions Uh, even involving district courts. Kamari was actually uh, testifying there in Baton Rouge on Wednesday, along with his family in favor of the bill. Nyron Harrison, his dad, said, I'm trying to hold back tears because I'm so proud of my son. He doesn't understand the seriousness of what's going on right now, but he is making history, and I'm a very proud father. So we're going to talk with, uh, again, Chelsea Kuman. Uh, Hang on one second. Let me make sure that I pronounce that name correctly. Chelsea Cusimano, the attorney for the uh, Harrison family. He'll be with us here momentarily, but I do just want to take a minute to talk about last night's vice presidential debate. If you uh, watched any or all of it, you know that the Second Amendment once again did not come up. And now there's uh, questions as to whether or not we're going to get a second presidential debate. Uh, the uh, Commission on Presidential Debates announcing that uh, they planned on holding the second debate virtually uh, with the moderator and participants not the candidates, but uh, quote unquote participants in Miami and Joe Biden and Donald Trump basically beaming in uh from elsewhere, Donald Trump saying on Thursday morning that he doesn't want to do that. he'll hold a rally instead of a, a second presidential debate you know i'm I'm kind of disappointed, I think that's probably going to be a mistake for the uh the Trump campaign, uh, which had been you know in the build up to the first presidential debate, suggesting that Joe Biden uh, might want to duck the debate i do understand that uh, donald trump says that uh, the uh, commission on presidential debates didn't talk with the campaign first there was no dialogue or discussion this was simply a, a here's how it's going to be and he said well no, no, no that's not how it's going to be uh, but I, personally i'm disappointed because I, who knows if we're going to get another presidential debate before the election and if these are the only two debates that are held then gun control will not have been brought up at all in any of the uh, presidential or vice presidential debates. Um, this was not brought up as a topic last night during the uh, debate between Mike Pence and Kamala Harris, which, by the way, I thought uh, Mike Pence did a, a good job. Uh, and I, I think that he probably walked away the uh, the winner of the exchanges with Kamala Harris. But, you know, I, I had written a piece at uh, Bearing Arms yesterday, three questions that I would have liked to have seen Mike Pence pose to Kamala Harris. The format really didn't allow for that to happen. Uh, Both of the candidates really seemed to be uh, pressed for time to uh, to to get out their complete statements before the moderator interrupted them. Say, "All right, we got to move on. We got to move on. Time's up. Time's up. Time's up." So there really wasn't an opportunity for Mike Pence to uh, to to get uh, uh, to the point where he could bring up the Biden-Harris plans for the Second Amendment. Uh, And I think it would be an absolute disservice to voters uh, if we don't hear. (laughs) two minutes or four minutes of discussion about the Biden-Harris plan and the Trump-Pence plan uh, to deal with your right to keep and bear arms because uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, they have big plans for your right to keep and bear arms. It does not involve protecting it. It involves uh, infringing on those rights. It involves passing gun bans that would uh, make it illegal for you to continue to possess the semi-automatic rifle that you may own or the 20-round magazine that you might possess. It involves... Going after firearms manufacturers and trying to uh, allow them to be sued for the third party actions of criminals. It involves giving grant money to states around the country to adopt Massachusetts style gun licensing laws so that a a local police chief gets to decide whether or not you are suitable to own a firearm, regardless of whether or not you meet the legal requirements to exercise your right to keep and bear arms. None of those things have been brought up during the uh, first presidential debate, during the vice presidential debate. And again, I think it would be a real shame. If the American people don't have a chance to hear from the Biden-Harris campaign or the Trump-Pence campaign about these issues. Not that I expect Joe Biden or Kamala Harris to be honest, by the way, about their uh, plans. They'll couch it in terms of, uh, well, we support the Second Amendment, but we're just in favor of common sense gun safety regulations. I mean, I know how they would weasel out of any real discussion about uh, what their uh, attacks on the right to keep and bear arms would mean for tens of millions of legal gun owners. But the question should still be asked. uh, And I'm kind of concerned that we're not going to have a chance to to actually hear from either campaign on the uh, Second Amendment before Election Day. So it becomes even more incumbent on gun owners to get information out there. I've got another piece at Bearing Arms today, breaking down another so-called fact check about Joe Biden's position on the Second Amendment. This one coming from Snopes. And uh, I would encourage you, go to bearingarms.com, share these stories uh, that talk about Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's uh, uh, agenda when it comes to the right to keep and bear arms. Make sure that every gun owner you know, and, and the non-gun owners as well, uh, understand what is at stake here uh, in the November elections. The The one time that there may have been an opportunity. Uh, to, uh, to to bring up the Second Amendment. It came during a, uh, a discussion about the Supreme Court. Uh, but Mike Pence, uh, you know, and I think rightfully so, tried to, uh, he used his time to try to pin Kamala Harris down with a yes or no answer. Will the Biden-Harris administration pack the Supreme Court if they're elected? Will you expand the number of justices from 9 to 13? Joe Biden has refused to answer that question. I mean, he just came out and said, listen, I'm not going to answer that question because then all of a sudden my answer becomes, you know, a campaign fodder. Well, yeah, no kidding, Joe, because it's important. Kamala Harris didn't even do that. She just ha 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 and dance around the issue and didn't address the subject at all. That was kind of a a common theme for Kamala Harris when she was asked questions that she did not want to talk about. Uh, And Joe, you know, listen, Mike Pence did a, a, I think, a, a, a service to those watching when he said, all right, look, you know, she's not answering. And I think we all know the reason why she's not answering is because, yes, that's exactly what they plan to do if they're elected. Um, again, I just I, I hope, fingers crossed, that we get some substantive discussion about the uh, gun control proposals from Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And if it's not going to happen on the debate stage again, it's got to be up to gun owners around the country to make sure that this information gets out there. All right, so having said that, let's now turn our attention back to our uh, main topic today, the uh, case of Kamari Harris, which has gone from being basically a, a, a local news story in Jefferson Parish, Louisiana, Uh, to now a national news story with uh, perhaps national implications because the bill uh, that has been offered there in Louisiana, this could be model legislation, frankly, for states around the nation. Uh, and hopefully would curtail some of the abuses that we've seen from school districts when it comes to kids being kids and the inadvertent and accidental display of, you know, a BB gun or an airsoft gun or a Nerf gun, which in some cases actually led to police showing up at the homes of these kids. As I said, had the chance to talk with Chelsea Cusimano, the attorney for the Harrison family earlier today, about the latest developments there in Louisiana. Take a look and a listen. Chelsea, thank you so much for coming on the program today. It's good talking with you.
1: No problem. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. I mean, this case is really, really blown up here. Uh, I I first reported, I guess, the day that New Orleans media first uh, started covering the case of Kamari Harrison, and since then... I mean, not only has this story received national attention, but Louisiana's attorney general has gotten involved. Lawmakers are are now getting involved. In fact, Kamari was testifying with his family in Baton Rouge at the state capitol on uh, Wednesday afternoon.
1: Cam, have you seen the results of what happened at the state capitol yesterday?
0: The unanimous passage uh, by the Louisiana House Education Committee for the Kamari-Harrison Act. Yes, this is incredible.
1: It passed with one amendment, that amendment being that it be renamed the Kamari-Harrison Act. (laughs)
0: That is fantastic. And you know, I mean, listen, it, it's a it's a it's a it's such an upsetting situation that uh the Harrison family finds itself in. I'm glad that Kamari is at least getting a a civics lesson uh out of this in, in terms of, you know, the responsiveness of government. But ha- first of all, how's Kamari doing and how's the family doing with everything that's been, you know, going on for the last couple of weeks?
1: Well, Kim, I'll tell you, you know, Kamari felt really bad at first. He was very nervous. Um, he was very upset. But as the tape has progressed and as he's gained the na- national recognition, um, which has come with adults and suits from everywhere, meeting Kamari and telling him he's not wrong, he's getting better. I mean, his family and his parents are obviously under an insurmountable amount of stress as a result of these incidents and the Jefferson Parish school system referring the family for a social work assessment creates damages that you and I probably can't even imagine, um, and what that government intrusion would look like. So his, his parents are, are struggling, but Kamari, um, after yesterday, I saw that he had the courage to smile again. He left, um, he walked into the Capitol, one little boy, and he walked out with a pep in his step that he simply just deserved after all of this. In one of his interviews that he gave yesterday, they asked him, you know, how did, how did it feel? To be sitting there telling all these people in the suit this. What's happened to you? And, and their response. And he said, um, well, you know, typically it's the adults doing this to the kids. And, um, I think what he was trying to say is that, you know, he was there at the Capitol yesterday because it was the adults that were in trouble this time. And he, and he walked out feeling, Feeling the courage to smile again and give it, give it, he has, you know, more strength to fight back after what happened yesterday. So he's just a kid. Cam, this isn't a um, a 11-year-old, this isn't a 14-year-old, this is a 9-year-old child who thought he was doing the right thing. He thought he was moving the BB gun out of his little brother's way and taking a test simultaneously. He didn't intend for this to appear on camera. He didn't even say a word. Um, his teacher's story corroborates that. And he doesn't really understand the magnitude of what's going on, mm-hmm. but I can tell you that it, it's a, it's a upward battle. Uh, well, what we it, thought was a downward one. Yeah. At, you know, the injustice of and failure of the adults in the room. And you'll hear a lot of people talk about that. It's now it feels like an upward battle. And so we're getting back on track.
0: Well, I'm glad that he's smiling now, and and you're right. I mean, who on earth would would think for a second, whether you're nine years old or 90 years old, who would think that picking up an unloaded BB gun and putting it against the side of your desk so you know your your little brother doesn't trip over it is all of a sudden going to result in you being suspended from school, threatened with expulsion, and I want to go back to something that you mentioned just a second ago: this social services. Uh, investigation or the social services assessment. Um, you all actually had to go to court to get a temporary restraining order to block the school district from doing this. How did this even come about? How, what, what happened where the Jefferson Parish School said, we want a, a social worker to investigate the family here.
1: Um, well, after the due process hearing, which quite frankly contained anything but due process, they ordered a, um, or they issued his, you know, his, suspension and with the sus- suspension was a referral for a social work assessment. And because they take, they have taken the position that Kamari's bedroom is an extension of a government classroom and they said as much in his due process hearing. So presumably they believe that they also have the authority to order a social work assessment. I, I can't explain it, Cam. Um, and that's why I filed a PRO and that's why I believe a judge signed a PRO.
0: So that TRO will block them block the school district from from conducting that assessment at least for now, tending,
1: right? Pending a hearing on, on the matter.
0: Okay. Do we and have that a
1: hearing that November 4th?
0: November 4th. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I know that in the in, in the immediate uh, aftermath of this story getting reported, um you heard from a lot of people from not just there locally in Louisiana but but really around the country who were saying that that their kids had either gone through similar instances or in some cases, thankfully, you know, there was an inadvertent display of a BB gun or a Nerf gun or something, and the school district did not react the way that Jefferson Parish schools did. Do you get the, the sense, Chelsea, that this is happening? I mean, I'm aware of at least three other cases around the country, one in Maryland, uh, two in Colorado, um, where, you know, this has happened, and actually police responded to these homes. But do you get the sense that this is happening more frequently than, than we might realize?
1: Um, I get the sense that the schools across the country entered the virtual learning without taking five minutes to sit down and put pen to paper and write a virtual instruction policy for parents and students to give them any sort of guidance, and then as a result thereof are applying their on-campus weapons policies with a unilateral decision that, you know, the government controls your bedroom, which is your virtual instruction environment. And, yes, I I get the sense that this is happening everywhere. It is a bigger issue. And because this particular family had a connection to me, they had a resource to get their story told. And if they didn't have this resource, then we wouldn't have found out about three cases that are in Jefferson Parish alone. So if I if, there, if this unveils three cases, two weapons one and one knives one in Jefferson Parish alone in the state of Louisiana, how many more are out there? Yeah, uh, I don't even see that. I've heard from people from New Jersey to Maryland, um, from across the state of Louisiana, for instances. And what we're doing now at the legislature is ordering school boards to write virtual learning policies and procedures and give parents any sort of instruction as to what a classroom should or should not look like. So these situations do not occur.
0: Uh, that's amazing. And I, also, I mean, yeah, go
1: ahead. I'll, yeah, the other component of this is the school system gave parents a laptop, but gave them no instruction. They didn't tell them how to conform their homes into government classrooms. And even if they did tell them you do that, how many families in public school systems can afford to conform their homes into government classrooms. In my client's case, we have a seven-member family unit living in a three-bedroom home. Are they supposed to rearrange their entire home to conform to on-campus policies that are in place as just to the, you know, virtual learning policies that are not in place? It just doesn't make sense to me.
0: Can't. No. It, I, I don't think it makes sense to I, – I, I, I don't even know if it makes sense to the uh, folks on the school board of uh, the Jefferson Parish schools, but I know it doesn't make sense to me, and I know it doesn't make sense to a lot of other folks as well, uh, because as you say, you know, the idea, most of us don't think of our homes as extensions of of schools, even if our kids are are learning online. It's not the way we think of it. Um, You know, there can... We shouldn't
1: have to think of it. Exactly. In 2020, in the wake of COVID, are we also supposed to, to now be told your home is government property by virtue of an internet connection?
0: I mean, that's basically what the Jefferson Parish schools are saying, right? Uh,
1: It is. It's not basically. It is what they are saying. It is what they have said.
0: And you said that there are three other cases that you've become aware of just in Jefferson Parish involving incidents that are very similar to Kamari's? Correct. Wow. I
1: wouldn't say very similar. Um, Kamari's is an unusual set of Circumstances because kamaris was um, inadvertent the uh, a lot of the cases that are coming up are kids playing with their toys in the background, but again, these are children these are you know children playing with toys they're fidgeting they're they're sitting there in front of a computer for five hours, six hours with no breaks they're going to play with a toy that's in their home unless their parents aren't told you know put them in a room or here, put a white screen on so we can't see anything but their face.
0: Yeah. Well, and when I green? say similar, I mean, these were not cases of kids making threats. These were not cases of kids, uh, you know, actually flashing a, a a real firearm. These were, again... I don't,
1: I don't know the intricate details of the other cases.
0: Okay. Um,
1: I. But I do know that the Attorney General is investigating
0: okay. three cases
1: in Jefferson Parish. Um, I, I believe that these children were not making threats. Um, I know that one was not, and I believe that the other was not as well. I believe they were just incidents of kids being kids in their own bedroom.
0: Okay. Well, we'll reach out to the Attorney General's office and see if, uh, you know, once their investigation is concluded, they can give us some more details. But, you know, what is your advice right now to parents who might be watching who, uh, you know, their own kids are are having to go to school virtually and, and online? What would you recommend that they do to be proactive to try to prevent something like this happening where they live?
1: Well, the first thing I would tell parents right now is be afraid. Um, if something doesn't get done about this, be very afraid. The second thing I would tell them is, I you know, Cam, I'm not a parent, so I don't want to give parental advice, but I've watched my clients as parents struggle since the moment this took place. Um, you know, the the government is watching. They by giving you a laptop certain parishes and certain counties may feel that they have, you know, the right to view what goes on in your home and judge what happens in there. And that's a very, very scary thing. So I would tell parents, be afraid if you're in a parish or county that feels that way or interprets the law that way, because that's an injustice. Um, the second thing that I would, you know, advise as an attorney until this matter is resolved in every state is, you know, Watch out for your background. Make sure that there's nothing in there that would be an ordinary thing that a child would be doing at home, because you don't want You don't want this to happen to you. What has happened to Kamari and his family is a egregious government overreach, and it's a terrifying intrusion into this family's home. And now we're in litigation to clear a nine-year-old's record. For a possesses weapons prohibited under federal law, charge for a Daisy BB gun. We're talking about the BB gun from a Christmas story being spotted in the background of his virtual learning instruction while he was taking an exam with his computer unused.
0: Well, listen, Chelsea. Again, I appreciate you coming on the program today. We are going to continue to cover this case uh, as it uh, both the, the the you know the the legal aspects of this, the legislative aspects of this. Uh, because this is a situation that I think parents should be concerned about. I, I You know, I've been telling parents, uh, be proactive, reach out to your local school board, reach out to your school superintendent, ask yeah, what the policies be, are.
1: Uh, you know, Cam, thank you for saying that. My, my brain's a little foggy from yeah, the no. legislature <laughs> yesterday. One piece of advice as an attorney that, you know, I don't want to give legal advice to non-clients, but as just a, a reasonable human being, you nailed it. Call your school board members, call your superintendents, email them, send them this story, send them a link to your podcast, send them a link to, you know, Google Kamari Harrison's name and send it to your lawmakers. Let them know what's happening. Let this story be an example of change and what school boards and what the government can do to protect these children and not do further harm to them.
0: Absolutely. Chelsea and that's one thing
1: here that I am doing um, is asking everybody to call every legislator they know and every board member they know.
0: I'll be reaching out honestly to my uh, state representative and my state senator here in Virginia, uh, and you know, asking them to take a look at the uh, uh, the bill uh, there in Louisiana. Want to make sure I get the name uh, correct here: the Kamari Harrison Act. Uh, and, it's House, and, and
1: bill 83.
0: House Bill eighty three. House Bill eighty three. Okay. Because, yeah, I I would love to see my local lawmakers sponsor something like this in Virginia.
1: So, so Cam, the unusual situation with this is I believe we are the only state in an extraordinary extraordinary session right now. So, most sessions run March to June. Mm -hmm. So, the reason that this case is gaining so much national attention is because Louisiana moved forward with holding an emergency COVID session. And this is a virtual learning matter, so therefore it's a COVID matter, and it made its way on the agenda. Yeah. So this may not even make its way to other states until, you know, March or whenever your legislative session commences. So until that date, if you don't have an emergency session pending, which I don't think any other state does, maybe Wisconsin, maybe Wyoming, one of the W states, you know, the best you can do is reach out to your lawmakers and your um, school board members and your superintendents and your board of education, um, members as well to try to cut this off at the head because it needs to be cut off at the head.
0: Absolutely. Chelsea, again, thank you so much for coming on the program today. It's good talking with you and uh, I hope we get to stay in touch and we'll an update from you again here before long.
1: And listen, thank you from me and thank you from Kamari and thank you from the Harrison family. The more you continue to speak about this and the more we continue to stand up, the more change we will impact and we cannot thank you enough for having us and and
0: the story. Oh, thank you. Chelsea Cusamano, join us, the attorney for the Harrison family there in Jefferson, Paris, Louisiana, joining us here on Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. I appreciate uh, Chelsea Cusamano joining us on the program. And uh, any updates that uh, might come our way in the case of Kamari Harrison, we will certainly bring them to you at uh, bearingarms.com and uh, here on Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. Uh, right now, let's turn our attention to today's armed citizen story, our good deed of the day. Our recidivist report as well will start there with a case out of California where a man who supplied a gun used in a uh, fatal shooting and then hid that firearm from police, ended up getting probation for that crime, as well as a robbery that he was a uh, uh, charged with as well. This happened in uh, Southern California, Vista, California, a 19-year-old from San Marcos, uh, Gerardo Gonzalez. Ended up getting a sweetheart plea deal from prosecutors, a deal, by the way, that the San Diego uh, uh, Union-Tribune says was made without the knowledge of the victim's family. And he was sentenced to probation and time served in this case. He uh, supplied a gun, used in a fatal shooting, hid the gun in an apartment courtyard, lied to police about it. Uh, 18-year-old Connor Mangseth was shot to death while hanging out with friends in an apartment in Carlsbad, California, back in July and the teenager who pulled the trigger as she played with a gun said it was an accident. The uh, gun actually belonged to Gonzalez. The um, mom of Connor Mangseth, Maureen Mangseth, says, we don't see any justice here. This is a mistake. Gonzalez pleaded guilty to accessory after the fact and endangering a child. In this case, the uh, teenager actually fired the shot that killed Mangseth. Gonzalez also pleaded guilty to grand theft from a person uh, in exchange for robbery charges from January being dropped. And the Union Tribune says he was out on bail waiting for trial in that case when Seth have died. So prosecutors rolled both of those cases into one, allowed him to plead down to both cases, gave him a slap on the wrist. He's out. Four years probation and basically time served. Uh, he was taken into custody on July 24th. He's back out on the streets now. Mr. Superior Court Judge James Simmons told Gonzalez if he fails on probation, he's looking at jail. Sure, a year in jail is the maximum sentence that would be possible if Gonzalez breaks the terms of his probation. And as the uh, Union Tribune says, with credits and COVID-19 concerns, cutting jail sentences, he likely would not face much more than a few weeks or months. So, again, almost no consequences for these criminal actions. Probation part of the deal is what angered the Manx's family, according to the Union Tribune. By the time they learned of it, the deal could not be undone. Judge said he understood that the family feels, quote, let down by the system. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad he feels that uh, they're they're concerned. But what the hell happened here? Prosecutor uh, Deputy District Attorney Keith Watanabe acknowledged that there had been a, quote, failure to communicate with the family before the deal was struck. He said he wasn't the initial prosecutor but stepped in to take over the case in recent weeks after the communication failure. The DA's office, the spokesman, Steve Walker, said, quote, this is obviously a tragic case. We've been in very close contact with the victim's family in recent weeks as we continue to seek justice for their loss. Uh Uh-huh. He uh, noted as well, prosecutors have charged the teen girl with murder. That's fine, but that's that's a separate case here. And in the case of uh, Gonzalez, I mean, again, not only probation for lying to police about uh, giving the gun to this teenage girl and then hiding the gun from police, but the, the, the robbery charge as well. I mean, that's just, again, it's insane to me that this is the consequence uh, for illegal possession of a firearm in California, because Gonzalez was not allowed to legally own this gun, giving the gun to another person who was not legally allowed to own it, gun that was then used in the commission of a killing. Line of police robbery, all of that amounts in California to just a couple of months behind bars. And uh, Mr. Gonzalez is today's recidivist report. On to our um, armed citizen story: Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, where a homeowner shot a suspected burglar in the uh, early morning hours. Actually, the uh, the late evening hours of Tuesday. It was about uh, nine o'clock. Police say they got on scene. In uh, Broken Arrow, learned that the homeowner had shot the male suspect who was taken to the hospital in critical condition. Uh, police say the burglary suspect shot twice, uh, including in the uh, torso. Suspect it looks like he is going to recover from his charge, or from his uh, injuries. He is facing first-degree burglary charges. The Broken Arrow Police Department says the homeowner um, did know the suspect in this case, but they also say that this was a, a case of self-defense, and uh, he is not facing any charges in the incident. And finally today, our good deed of the day, we'll go back to California for this one, Modesto, California, where a trip to a Home Depot uh, turned into a life-threatening situation for a couple. Kristen Ewell and her husband, Leonid Kasparovich, uh, were there at uh, Home Depot on uh, last Thursday morning when all of a sudden uh, Leonid starts having some trouble breathing put his hands up to rest, said his wife. Instead of resting, he fell face first into the lumber and then began to hyperventilate. Her husband was having a a heart attack. Christian Ewell says at first it was a sense of, oh my gosh. And she didn't really know what to do. She said, I'm losing him. And I was holding his head in my hands, watching him go. He, she says, saved my husband's life. He, off-duty Modesto officer Matthew Denton, with the California Highway Patrol who jumped into action. He was there shopping, saw what was going on. Heard uh, Ewell say, She's not breathing. He's not breathing. At that point, he said, I noticed that he began to turn blue. So he turned Kasparovich on his side to clear his lungs of blood and fluid. Matthew Denton said he then began doing CPR on the man while instructing Christian Ewell how and when to do mouth to mouth. And it worked. It worked. Kasparevich was saved, taken to the hospital by paramedics. paramedic shortly after. He is recovered. Matthew Denton says this was not about being a police officer. He says it was about being a human being. And I knew that if I didn't act, and I didn't use the skills that I knew how to do, that I was trained to do, this guy would most likely lose his life. He said, for me, it was kind of a God moment. Right time, right place. In the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. Officer Matthew Denton, we thank you for that very good deed. Now listen, that's about all the time we've got for you on this edition of uh, Bearing Arms Cam and Company. But coming up on tomorrow's program, we're going to be talking about what's going on with the ATF and the Honey Badger pistol. Uh, the ATF in a cease and desist notification to the uh, gun company known as QLLC regarding the uh, Honey Badger pistol, basically saying that this is a short-barreled rifle. Uh, and it's a rather arbitrary determination. It's the the latest uh, I, I kerfluffle, let's say, uh, with the ATF and their sort of arbitrary rulings here. On the other side, you've got gun control advocates suing the ATF uh, over 80% lowers or 80% receivers and frames. Uh, and now you've got uh, uh, gun groups who are saying, listen, the ATF is uh, uh, making these arbitrary determinations. So both pro-gun and anti-gun groups unhappy with the ATF. Maybe nothing is new about that. Uh, but what is new is that I think uh, some gun manufacturers are starting to fight back. We're going to talk with Alex Bosco, who's the uh, CEO and founder of SB Tactical, who has launched a new nonprofit to take on abuses by the ATF, like what we're seeing here with QLLC and the Honey Badger Pistol. So we'll talk with Alex about that on tomorrow's camera company. Don't want to miss it. In the meantime, don't forget, you can subscribe to Town Hall Media. Uh, that way you'll never miss a program on YouTube. Also, you can subscribe to Barren Arms Cam & Company on Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find us there. We certainly do appreciate your support. Appreciate you tuning in. Until we talk again, be well, be safe, be free, and we'll see you soon with another edition of Barren Arms Cam & Company.